Good morning, Boker Tov, and welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. Always a privilege and a pleasure to study the Parsha together. Sorry we can't offer coffee this morning. Hope everyone is having a meaningful and productive fast. Sarah Beteves is trying to correct the sale of Yosef. So some have posited that's what Asar Batevis corresponds with, aside from the reasons given in the Gemara. But it's a day of introspection, self-reflection. It's a day of repair, relationships. It's a day of improving ourselves. And no better way to do that than studying the Parsha. I want to thank our Parsha series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, loving memory of David Grossman, Liuli Nishmas, David Ben, Menachem Manashes, Neshama, Sharab, and Aliyah. We're so grateful to them for their generosity and their sponsorship. Parshas Vayechi, page 268 in the Art Scroll, Stone Chumash. And with this, I don't know about you, it feels like it was just Simchas Torah. We just started Bracious. I don't know how we're finishing the first book of Chumash, the first book of the Torah already, where the time goes, well, we're having fun. Vayechi Yaakov Beretz Mitzrayim Shavas Reishana, Vayi Yimei Yaakov Shnei Chayev Sheva Shanem Ve'abayam Me'as Shana. Yaakov lived in Egypt for 17 years. These are the days of Yaakov, the years of his life, for 147 years. He understands and he appreciates that he's at the end of the days, and therefore he gathers his family around. There's a lot of literature on the notion, the importance of gathering our family and leaving not only a will, not only trying to avoid paying taxes, not only trying to ensure a smooth transfer of our assets, but more importantly, an ethical will, what we call a tzava'a. And that's exactly what Yaakov Avinu does when he perceives that he's at the end of his life. He gathers his family not to talk about who gets which ring, which necklace, which mezuzah, who gets which item, this uh, shas, who gets the talus. Not to talk about who gets which item, which is not a bad idea also, if you'd like your family to get along even after you're gone. But it's a tzava'a, it's an ethical will. He's trying to communicate his core values, what's important, what drove his life, and the potential that he sees in each of them. The first thing, the first message he has for his son Yosef is, he says, if I find favor in your eyes, please promise, swear to me, whatever you do, don't leave me. Don't just tell me, you have to follow through. Do for me a chesed ve'emes. Do something that's both kind and just, and righteous and true. And what is that thing? Al Nasik do not bury me where? In Mitzrayim. Don't bury me in Mitzrayim. Rav Yerucham wonders, the great Rav Yerucham, the great Mashkiach of the Mir. Rashi says, Simna Yadcha, place your hand, Tachas Yerechi, the only place of a mitzvah. There was no Sefer Torah. There was no Chumash to put your hand on and affirm. What was the only Dvar Mitzvah, the only Chefta of a mitzvah that you could swear or affirm on was a bris milah. It sounds peculiar, bizarre to us, but it was very holy and noble. Vihishava, says Rashi, swear to me. Yaakov is making his son Yosef swear. But Tzarek Bir and Rav Yerucham wonders, I mean, isn't he embarrassing Yosef? 22 years of separation. Yosef didn't lose an iota of who he was. He's still Yosef. Ani Yosef. I'm not Safnas Paneach. The Egyptians know me by an Egyptian name, but that's not who I am. In my core, I've never deviated. I'm still that Yosef. I'm still the Yosef in the base medrash of our father. And yet, Lechorah is a Mevayish as Yosef. Does Yaakov really have a thought? 
that Yosef, the great Yosef, is not going to follow through on the request, on the last dying wish of his father. He says, not good enough. Not good enough that I asked you for a favor and you said, yes, I need you to swear. I need you to promise. I'm going to need two notaries. We're going to need, we're going to need somebody uh, representing the court, a couple notaries. We're going to need some witnesses. Yosef's like, excuse me? What? Me, dad, it's me. I know we were separated. Remember, I sent the Agalos. I still remember the sugya we were holding in. And Yosef, I'm still Yosef. You don't trust me? You don't believe me? I have to swear? I have to affirm? Kiyote Bedavah, Rabbi Yerucham says we see a similar idea. When Avram sends Eliezer to look for a shidduch for Yitzchak, promise me you will not set up Yitzchak with one of the girls from Canaan. Promise me. Now I understand some of the Sharchanim today, after you pay the retainer, and after you sign the DocuSign, and after, okay, so now promise me, after the retainer and the DocuSign, that you're not going to set up with someone from this community. Promise me. But Eliezer, Eliezer is Avram's trusted, to, he's in charge of his whole house. He's in charge of everything. So he doesn't trust him. He makes him swear. Why, why is not trust enough to be able to rely on his word? What's with the swearing? So Rav Yerucham in his Das Torah, in his Das Torah at the end of Breshis, he says the following. Torah tells us in several places, you're not allowed to eat blood. One of the laws of kasha, so you cannot consume blood. That's why we salt meat. That's why you have to roast a liver. You're not allowed to consume blood. Nevertheless, the Torah says, it's Sefer Dvarim. Rak chazak levelti echol hadam. Strengthen yourself. Be strong. Whatever you do, don't eat blood. Sifri comes along and quotes, Ben Azai, Omer lo ba'akasav elo lahasir chalalamerchad kama tatzorch lezchazik b'mitzvos. I don't know why the Torah has to tell me so many times, don't eat blood. I have no interest in eating blood. It's disgusting. It's repulsive. Why would I want to eat blood? That the Torah has to say, strengthen, strengthen yourself, don't eat Cape Cod potato chips. Strengthen yourself, don't eat Trader Joe's corn chips. Strengthen yourself, don't eat, okay, for some of you, chocolate, ice cream, Baruch Hashem, I don't have those temptations. But strengthen yourself, be strong and hold back and don't eat that which is bad for you. I understand, I understand. But dam, blood, I have no interest. So, says Rashi there, if blood that you have no temptation, no desire, no interest to eat, the Torah nevertheless has to say, be strong, strengthen yourself, don't give in. All the more so, the things we have a drive and a temptation for. If something you have no desire for, nevertheless, you get a great reward when you abstain from, 
All the more so when you overcome the drive, the temptation, the desire, the things you really want to do and nevertheless you don't do, all the more so the reward waiting for you. Says Rabbi Yerucham, So you see the Torah goes out of its way and says, don't rely on yourself. Blood I'm repulsed by, I'm disgusted by. Yeah, okay, lovely. But still, you never know. That steak, it looks like it's so delicious. You're going to want that steak so badly. It's going to be roasted in such a barbecue and so, black and blue. It's a fast day already at 9.30 in the morning. I'm talking so much about food. Black and blue. You know, that's the proper way to eat a steak. You know what black and blue is? Char on the outside and nice and rare on the inside. Black and blue. Next time you go to a restaurant, tell them, my rabbi said I should ask for black and blue. Some grilled onions, fried onions, delicious. So black, so you're gonna see a piece of steak, it's black and blue, it's grilled perfectly charred on the outside, rare, still a shtickle moving on the inside, it's still a little bit alive on the plate on the inside, but it, it hasn't been salted. No malicha was done. You're gonna be tempted, it's too late if it's already roasted, before it's roasted. You're gonna be tempted, no malicha was done. You can't trust yourself. The Yitzhahar, the drive, impulse is so strong, we can't trust ourselves. So mevinim hetev sha'avos ha'kedoshim lo samcho al atzmam. And you see from here that the great Avos, the greater person is, they never trust themselves. They never trust themselves and they never trust the people around them. When something is so precious, when something is so critical, when something is so central and definitional, don't trust yourself and don't even trust the people around you. And Shuldik, I don't mean to insult you. No offense, it has nothing to do with you. I don't trust myself, I don't trust you. Torah says about several things. Ain apatropos laarayas, for example. Torah says you can't be alone in a room with someone of the opposite gender to whom you're not related and you couldn't marry. You can't be alone. Why not? Hashem, you don't trust me? Hashem looks at you and he says, that's exactly right. I don't trust you. Because I invented and placed that drive in you and something so important, so definitional, the striving and ambition for kedusha, for sanctity, that's right. I don't trust you. Ain apatropos laarayas, we don't believe you should leave money sitting around with someone else there, even your own family members. Well, you don't trust them? That's right. You don't trust them. Some drive, some impulse is so strong, we don't trust. We don't trust. And therefore, Yaakov Avinu says to Yosef, it's no offense. There's nothing to do. I don't trust myself. I don't trust you. I desperately don't want to be buried here. I want for eternity to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. We'll talk about it in a moment. And therefore, Simna swear to me. It's not an insulting to you. It has nothing to do with you. These are the most important things in the world. Avram says, Eliezer, you have my, you're in charge of my whole estate. You're, you have all the passwords to all the accounts. You have everything. But when it comes to a shidduch for my son, the very future and continuity of my people, of my mission, of my charge, don't be insulted. It has nothing to do with being insulted. Some things are so strong, so powerful, so core that a person has to swear. A person has to swear. Comes along the Otsar Plo Satora, our new favorite Sefer. The Heliga Otsar Plo Satora. Kosova Rambam. So here Yaakov Avinu says, Swear to me. Swear to me what? You won't leave me here in Shmutzlaritz. Don't leave me here in Chutzlaritz. Don't leave me here outside the land of Israel. Promise, swear to me that you're going to bring me to Eretz Yisrael. Promise you're going to intern me forever. I will be resting in Eretz Yisrael. Zog the Ramam, Hilchaz Malachim, Perakei, Alachu Yidalef. HaKover Bob Eretz Yisrael, Nishaper Lo, being buried in Israel is a source of kapara. Ukilu HaMokom Shubom Mizbach Kapara. 
Says the Ramam, of course, get to Israel while you're alive, get to Israel while you have life, get to Israel while you're among the living and you're navigating and you're conquering and you're Yeshiva Aretz, you are settling in the land. All of us, it should be a question not if, but when. Sarah Batavis, we're mourning the siege, Nebuchadnezzar around Yerushalayim. Churban, if we feel Churban, part of the Churban is that we're not there. We need to be there. Not if, but when. Better to go while you're alive. But if you don't go while you're alive, says the Ram, be buried there. And from whom do we learn this? Two great people who desperately begged and made their progeny swear they wouldn't, they would not be and turned outside of Israel were Yaakov Avinu and Yosef HaTzadik. The Rambam and his tshuva, Simon Shinayin Beis, Echad Sha'ava Ve'imah Hayudarim B'chutz La'aretz, an individual's parents were living outside of the land, Ve'ishtoku K'b'chayim Chayosun L'zakos Achim Misasun L'kvur B'Eretz Yisrael, Ve'gam B'Sha'as Chuyam Asher Mesu Bo, Omru, Shemishtokim L'kvur B'Eretz Yisrael, they asked, please bury us in Israel, even during their final days, during their terminal illness, they said, please confirm, you're going to bury us in Israel. V'achein K'asher Mesu, Si'el Hashem Yisbarach, Afshay Yechalash V'anim Ma'od, so this individual was very poor, had no idea how to fulfill this promise, found somebody, you know, you say, can anyone take a small package? <laughs> okay? It's an unusual request, a small package. I have the bones of my parents. Would you mind? Do you, do you have room in your luggage? Room in your luggage. I'm only taking a small car. Do you have room in your luggage for the bones of my parents? V'shola shomea rambam. Imtzorch limchos biyad haben. V'masab is a mitzvah of our Avera. So the question of the Rambam, is it right to do? Send the bones with someone else? Bury them here? Send them to Israel? And the Rambam's short, succinct answer was, what you did is very correct, is right, is righteous, bury in Israel. The Marashal writes similarly in Chidusha Agados of Baba Basra, Schus Gedoli Hilios Nikbar Be'eretz Yisrael, Af Mishemes Bochutz Laretz V'Koshikim Mishabalash HaMechayav. It's a big merit, it is a big source of atonement to be buried in the land of Israel. Better to go alive if you can't go, and if you don't go alive, at least go and be buried there. And we find many Mari Chazal, he quotes here, from several places, in the Medrash, Brishus Rabbah, in several places. He says, but now we find some Mari Chazal, the opposite, who died outside of Israel, and the Chachamim said, bury them where they are. Don't schlep them, don't delay, don't bury them in Israel. In fact, there are some who object and say, if you see the Mishnah, the end of Moed Katan, we simplified and we made universal our standards of burial. Plain pine casket. You could be the wealthiest Jew in the world. You could be worth billions of dollars. You could have the most ornate and ostentatious coffin. But we say, don't. Every Jew, the Tachrichen, burial shrouds, have no pockets. You know why they have no pockets? A man gets buried in his kittel. You wear your kittel, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Pesach Seder. You may have noticed the kittel has no pockets. Why does the kittel have no pockets? Why do the Tachrichen have no pockets? Because you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. You've never seen a hearse attached to a U-Haul. Ever. <laughs> You've never seen it. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. There are no pockets. So therefore, so therefore, 
The coffin, standard, plain pine box. In fact, Yosef is the only one in all of Tanakh who's mentioned is buried in an aron, in a coffin. We know the men in Eretz is to be buried without a coffin. Yosef is the only one who is mentioned in Tanakh. He's buried in a coffin. So outside of Israel, where the men is to bury in a coffin, plain pine casket. I, mine could be gold lettering with the logo from my bar mitzvah in gold. No, plain pine casket. Everyone's the same. You could be worth billions of dollars. My tachrichen. I never understood. You see, there's a minute of some chasidim. If you go and you go buy a kittel, I went to buy a new kittel. They have kittel with, with gold down the middle, silver, uh, tara. I said, what's going on over here? I thought the whole kittel was supposed to be simple. Ah, so different minhagim. Different people have different... Different people have different minhagim. So, but the kittel is plain. The tachrichen, everyone wears the same tachrichen. Nobody's got designer, custom made, the tachrichen. I would give you an example of designer. I don't even know who it like, I don't know who, who would impress you, the designer tachrichen. Nobody's got designer tachrichen. They're all the same. So now to create a standard where the expectation is that everybody gets buried in Eretz Yisrael, you know what it costs to get a grave in Eretz Yisrael? Do you know what it costs? The flight? Do you know what it costs? The rental car? Do you know what it cost? Everything to get to Eretz Yisrael. So some are opposed to being buried in Eretz Yisrael because we're going to up, we're going to move the goalposts. We're going to make it the standard, the expectation for people who can't afford. They'll go into debt. They'll put the kids in public school to bury the parents in Eretz Yisrael. And that's not right. That's not right. The same way Mishnayis and Moed Cotton said, we created a standard so that there'd be a universal observance of a coffin, of Tachrichen. So how is it that Yaakov and Yosef insisted they have to be buried in Eretz Yisrael? So the Shlach Kadosh, Parshas Vayechi, L'yashem kushezu heich tzibuch Yaakov and Yosef, she'alos in Eretz Yisrael, l'achar shemesim mitzrayim, because of Dabar Pela, she'yakob avonav hachayu b'mitzrayim b'soch avira de'eretz Yisrael, imkein lo mesim b'mitzrayim klal, ki im ba'avira de'eretz Yisrael. V'chein merumaz b'divra Yaakov, v'shachavti im avosai. Yaakov Avinu says, I will lay to rest with my forefathers. Yaakov and his sons, what was the heter to leave Eretz Yisrael? Why were they allowed to leave? The answer is they left and they took a piece of Eretz Yisrael with them. When they settled in Goshen, they created an embassy of Eretz Yisrael in Mitzrayim. It was an embassy of Eretz Yisrael in Mitzrayim. Says the Shla, it was Ki'ilu, they were living in an extension, in an expanded Eretz Yisrael. The border of Eretz Yisrael expanded into Mitzrayim. So he was as if living in Mitzrayim. So he said, He was already entitled because he was Ki'ilu already living in Eretz Yisrael. He was allowed to be moved. He was allowed to be transferred. The Sefer Vavaya Amudim, who was the son of the Shlah, Rav Sheftel Haravitz, who was the son of the Shlah, who took over for the Shlah when the Shlah moved to Eretz Yisrael. He gave a different answer. Yaakov Avinu Be'emes Lameis Be'Mitzrayim, Rak Bavol Eretz Kenan, Meis Sham, V'lochein Amar Yaakov Ashachavti Im Avosai, Yaakov had a little bit of a pulse. They hadn't yet declared him dead. He was terminally ill and he was a ghost. He was just about dead when they took him to Canaan. But in fact, they didn't confirm death until he was in Canaan. That's why he was allowed to be buried there. Those are the different reasons the Shlah and his son give for why he was allowed to be buried. I personally, if one can afford it, I understand the concern not everybody can afford it. We don't want to change the standard. If you ask me, and, and again, I don't want to make anyone you know, concerned or have doubt or anxious if you already have arrangements outside of Eretz Yisrael. But I went several years ago, I went with a group to Cuba for a day. And we toured Cuba for one day, which was plenty of time. I didn't need any longer in Cuba for that day. And one of the places we went was the Jewish cemetery. And one of the people with us 
grandparents had survived the Nazis and fled, and like others, they made it to Cuba. And there was a thriving Jewish community in Cuba before the revolution. There was kailalim and yeshivas and seminaries for girls and shuls and kosher restaurants, a thriving, thriving Jewish community. And the cemetery reflects the affluence and how thriving that community was. The person who is with us, his grandfather is buried in Cuba and he has a marble headstone, magnificent. His grandmother is not buried in Cuba because before the revolution, they fled, they got out. They got out. This was his first time ever being at the grave of his grandfather. First time ever there. And I thought to myself, you know, when they buried his grandfather, undoubtedly it was a big hesped and a big levaya and the thriving Jewish community buried in Cuba where they would be Jews forever and be able to visit the Beis Akvaros. And now Cuba, the Jewish community, I'll tell you a little secret, the Jewish community in Cuba is mostly intermarried. They're not even Jewish. There are a few Jews left. The majority of the Jewish community in Cuba today is not even technically or halachically Jewish. Where is the one place today, as we're seeing the spike and rise of anti-Semitism in America, the one place that, please God, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, Amir Tzashem, will always go, whether it's for Sukkot, whether it's to live, whether it's for the year in Israel, whether it's in the summer, is Eretz Yisrael. If a person has the capacity, if they don't, they shouldn't feel guilty if they already have plans and they have a family plot outside of Israel, by all means, there's a strong Mesorah to be buried there too. I don't mean to make anybody feel concerned. But if you don't yet have plans, first of all, BRS has a section in Eretz Yisrael. We have a section here in Hollywood. But if you don't yet have plans, that could be part of the consideration. He continues, What if you can't be buried in Israel? How could you be buried in America so as if you're buried in Eretz Yisrael? So here we have a minog. We have a minog. The Medrash Tapios quotes, Every Leviah I officiate, not in Eretz Yisrael, but here. We have a minog. We take Afar from Harazesim. We take earth. One of the first funerals I did as the rabbi. This is where there, there are two types of retired rabbis. There are retired rabbis who are like a thorn in the side of the rabbi. There are retired rabbis who just want to catch the rabbi, who want to malshin the rabbi, who want to drive the rabbi crazy. And there are retired rabbis like Rabbi Simcha Friedman, who was a very, very special man and a dear friend and mentor to me. And one of the first, he was a beloved member here, Rabbi Simcha Friedman. Those members of Biras undoubtedly remember him. So one of the first funerals I did, I said at the end, we were lowering the casket. I said, now the minig is that we place dirt from Harazesim on top of the casket. And we bind. Afterwards, he pulled me aside. He said, Rabbi, it would sound a lot nicer if you refer to it as earth, not dirt. <laughs> he didn't tell somebody else, uh, the rabbi said dirt. He didn't. He said so gently, so kindly. You know, it sounds a lot nicer. Just think about something to consider. It sounds a lot nicer. Every funeral, every single funeral since then, I say, well, now place earth from Harazesa. Nobody wants to think that we're dumping dirt on their loved one. But we're placing earth from the holy Mount of Olives. Psh, earth. So the minig is, we have members of the Hever Kadisha. We have an outstanding Hever Kadisha. Outstanding Hever Kadisha. who are busy every night with the Chesed Shal Emes. The Lashon of this week's Pasha. Do a Chesed and Emes with me. Our Hever Kadisha. Can't imagine how many, how many Taharas they've done. So you know that at the end of the Tahara, before we, play, before we close the lid of the coffin, we take earth from our Azesim and we place it. As the Medrash Tapio says, we place it. 
on the eyes, we place it on the heart, and we place it on the mila for a male, and then we close after already after the tahara, after the tachrich, after they're dressed in the tachrichin, we lift, we place, we place shards, but underneath the shards, we place earth from harazesim on the eyes, on the heart, the makamamila. We do it again at the levaya. We lower the casket. We sprinkle earth on top of the casket from harazesim. From why it's nechshav kilu cover mamish beretz Yisrael because it creates a connection, a bond between the person and the land of and the land of Israel. Interesting. Chaim Palaji has a uh, practice. He says they used to bury along Sfas Hayam, and then it was nechshav kilu nikvar beretz Yisrael. I don't know. Today maybe it would be the airport, not the Sfas Hayam. The best way, the fastest way, was ship. So if you buried along the seashore, you were already on your way, on your way. Today, maybe it's next to the airport. Maybe it's next to the airport would be the closest. Okay, so far we're at the first Pasuk. Okay. Perak Memchas, Pasuk Beis. Yosef's told your father sick. He takes his two sons, as Menasha, Ves, Ephraim. Why does Yosef have to be told his father is sick? Why is he told his father is sick? He gets a call, your father is sick. Why does he get a call, his father is sick? He never visits his father? He never goes? The home that Yaakov lived in, the assisted living facility, the nursing home, his brothers, wherever Yaakov's living, they have to call, the concierge service has to call Yosef. I think you should probably come visit your father. He's not doing well. Ooh, he's not doing well. He took a turn. Let me get my sons and go. He didn't see him every day, once a week. He didn't check in ever. Why not? Why not? So, Listen to what he says, Otzer Plas HaTorah. The Rosh in Meseches Kedushin brings a Chumr Nifla'a in the mitzvah of Kivit Av from the Maharam Mirutenberg. The Maharam Mirutenberg was the last of the Balai HaTosvos. The Maharam Mirutenberg quotes, the Rosh quotes the Maharam, his Rebbe, the Maharam Mirutenberg. Listen to this incredible comment. Shemiyom she'olo legedula lo yimekabel es p'nei aviv v'gam lo ratza she'yavo aviv elav. Maharam Mirutenberg felt the following conflict. From the day that he ascended to greatness, that he had a position of distinction, he never wanted to see his father. Because of the following conflict, what would be? Does he honor his father? Or now, with his ascension to a prominent position, should his father honor him? What happens? If a son is a Rebbe of the father, does the son still have to stand for the father if the son is now the Rebbe of the father? And the Gemara leaves it as, the Gemara doesn't draw a conclusion. The Gemara doesn't pass in Allah. The it's a biblical law. The Maram Mirunberg didn't want to enter into a case of doubt in a biblical law. Should he stand for his father, not stand for his father, now that he's his father's Rebbe? Do I stand for my father? Does my father stand for him? You know what's easier? Send him my regards. Some peladik achumra of the Maram Mirunberg. Why is it peladik? I would think in order to avoid a halachic conundrum, you're not going to see your father ever again. 
I would think there's no bigger breach of kibbutz aveim than that. What could disappoint a parent more than never seeing in order to avoid your? Ch- you thought you knew the chumrah of the week. It's the new chumrah of the week. Avoid your parent. Again, some don't want to spend Pesach with their parents, and so now you have a good out. Can't spend parent. I don't. Know, we can't spend Pesach together. It's a halachic chumrah. I don't know if I should stand for you. You should stand for me. Better we should be apart for Pesach. Chalila, chalila. So that's the Kenan Balia Tosos Kosush, Yosef La Yoragal Yosef Yaakovaviv. Why am I mentioning this here? Why does the Otsapolas Torah bring this down here? Because the Das the Kenan Balia Tosos says that was Yosef's calculation. From when Yaakov came down, Yosef avoided Yaakov as much as possible. Why? He wasn't worried about, do I stand for my father? Does my father stand for me? Though that taka was a good question too. On the one hand, it's his father, keep it of aim. On the other, it's the viceroy of Egypt. You've got to show honor to a king. He had the same halachic conundrum, the same halachic dilemma, but he had another dilemma. You know what his dilemma was? If Yaakov and Yosef, they're enjoying a glass of wine, they finish their learning the chavrusa for the day, and they're enjoying some company, a cup of coffee. You think Yaakov's never going to say to Yosef, you know, hey Yosef, you never did tell me. How'd you end up down here? It's never going to come up. 22 years, Yaakov was inconsolable. He refused to accept Yosef was dead. He's alerted, he's told, oh Yosef, hi, he's still alive. Wow, let's go. He comes down. He didn't ask the brothers. He's never going to ask Yosef, you know, you never did tell me. What happened? You know, I got the coat, the special coat. I spent a lot of money on that coat, Yosef. I got it back covered in blood. What, what, what happened? Yosef was afraid. If he would tell his father, if his father would just read it his face and know that it was the brothers, his father might curse his brothers. And therefore, he avoided seeing his father. That's what the Dasakin and Balatosos, Yosef so showed a superhuman allegiance and loyalty to his brothers. You know, if I was Yosef, you know what I'd do? Dad, let's hang out all the time. I'm a tzaddik that I didn't volunteer what happened. But, but he asked, what could I do? I would never tell him. I wouldn't initiate. I wouldn't volunteer it. But uh, my father asked me, keep it alive, what could I do? Yosef, with such loyalty and allegiance to his brothers, after an absence of 22 years, and desperate to make up for lost time, still avoids his father in order to protect his brothers. Can understand why the end of our Pasha, it's even more painful that after Yaakov dies, the brothers have to say, don't kill, don't kill you. Do you know what I've done? I've killed myself over you. And now you're worried I'm going to kill you. So says the Otsar Plos HaTorah, says the Holy Jew who put the Sefer together, a good friend of Mr. Lipschitz, Reb Wolf Zichrman, says maybe the Pshat in the Das Kenan Balatosos is like the Marami Rodenberg. Maybe Yosef really had the Suffolk Doraisa. Do I stand for my father? Does my father stand for me? He writes in the footnote, Sha'alti, I asked Rav Chaim Kanievsky whether this Pshat could be correct. Maybe Yosef was like Marami Rodenberg, the same Chumrah, to which Rav Chaim answered, a resounding, Ulai. <laughs> I'm sure that was very heartening. Ulai, maybe, maybe that's the pshat. Maybe it's not the pshat. Who knows? 
Who knows? The Rush disagrees with his Rebbe Mufak. The Rush seems to reject this. I'm not suggesting we start applying it. The Rush seems to reject this approach of the Marami Rutenberg. Don't worry about your Suffolk Dorais. Hashem wants you to spend time with your father. That Kibbara Ve'im is spending. Both stand the whole time, both sit the whole time. Figure it out. But he wants you to spend time with your father. Perak Memches Pasuk Zayin. One of my, I don't want to say favorite Pasuk because it's such a sad Pasuk. But the wording, the language of this Pasuk, I point it out every year, I'm sure. Yosef is turning to, Yaakov rather, is turning to his son Binyamin. Perak Memches Pasuk Zayin. And he says, Vani, bevoi mi padan, when I came from Padan Aram, Mesa alai Rachel be'eretz Kenan baderach, Rachel went and she died on me. Could you believe it? I had the car for so long. It hit 100,000 miles. And punked when I left Padan Aram, the car died on me. I wanted to call you, but my cell phone, it died on me. Whoever heard about a human being you describe as Mesa Alai? She went and she died on me. Your mother, she died on me. I needed her. How was I supposed to raise all these children and get out from Marv in time? Mesa Alai, and your mother up and went and died on me. Such a funny wording, no? Like a car, like a phone. Mesa Alai, your mother, she went and died on me. Mesa Alai, Rachel, on our way to Ephrasa, on our way to Ephrat, Vek Sham Bederach Ephrasi, Beis Lacham, I had no choice. I buried her there, on the path, on the way. What could I do? That's where I buried her. She went up and died on me. Says the Megid Yosef, says Rav Yosef Saratskin. The Megid Yosef. Mesa Alai. Who is Yaakov saying this to? Yosef. He's trying to make Yosef understand, it's not that I didn't love your mother, that's why I left her here. He's filling Yosef in. And he's telling Yosef what happened in his absence. Your mother died. Ooh, she's in Mara Samach with everybody else? Ooh, uh, nope, not quite. She's on the roadside by herself. Don't worry, I marked the area. You can visit. But she's not in this illustrious, prominent, in perpetuity, a place the Jewish people will go. Because she, she up and went and died on me on the way. I had to leave the car. You ever drive a 95? How many abandoned cars there are? On, I always wonder, like, what happened? And whoever left that car, didn't think they're not coming back for it? So you, that's what Yaakov tells Yosef. She went and up and died on me on the side of the road. I had no choice. That's where I buried her. Mesa Alai on me. Whom is Yaakov telling this to? Yosef. A lie? True, you were left a widower. But Yosef was left an orphan. Is Yosef left less of an orphan than Yaakov as a widower? Yosef feels less pain than Yaakov. That Yaakov communicates Rachel's death only in association with his loss, not Yosef. So the Gemara Sanhedrin Chav Beis Kava Mikra Zeb Amakar Leklal. The Gemara derives a principle from here, very painful principle. Some of you know it all too well. That ain't Isha Mesa, Ella Labayla, Mesa Alai. Yaakov says to Yosef, "Your mother died on me. I know you feel the pain of her loss, but you're married. You have children. You have a life. You have a future. She was my other half. She was my everything." Chazal here characterized of all the people who suffered that loss. And there are people who suffer a loss. Nebuch, 
Maybe the person who died had parents who are still yet alive. They have a spouse, they have siblings, they have children, they have nieces, they have nephews. So many people suffered, but the greatest pain is felt, the most acute pain is felt, the most piercing, inconsolable pain is felt by the spouse. Everybody else was one plus one. I was a child plus you were my parent, a sibling plus you were my sibling, a person plus you were my child. But for the spouse, I was a half and you made me whole. We were two halves who became a whole. But still, wonders the Megid Yosef, it's true that the pain of the spouse is greater. It doesn't mean others don't have also great pain, but the greatest pain is felt by the spouse. But why does it say, Ella, only Labayla? It should be, a spouse dies and is felt the most by the spouse. Why is the language of Chazal not the most, but Ella, only by the spouse. And here he says, Taka, where do we learn this whole rule from? From whom do we learn it from? Yaakov. Yaakov didn't remarry. When Rachel died, he still had three wives. He's still plenty of laundry done, plenty of dinners made, plenty of shopping taken care of, plenty of the children being tended to. He had plenty still. Many men remarry quickly because they need to. They'd be lost. They'd be wearing dirty clothing, malnourished, lost, don't know how to get anywhere, never getting on top. They'd be finished. Yaakov, it's not that he remarried quickly because he'd be lost. He was still married to three women. And that's the person that we learn the rule from, Ein Isha Mesa, Ella, Labayla. So why Ella, asks the Megid Yosef, what do you mean only? And why from Yaakov, who still had three more wives? Ech nemar alav shiraku etztar al misas ha-shorachel. Bezman sheyosef ha-binyamin, nisharu below aim. If you're Yosef, you say, listen, dad, I'm sure that was rough for you losing mom, but uh, you still have three wives. And Binyamin and I, we have no mother. So what do you mean? What do you mean on me? Says the Megid Yosef. Because of those questions, you see just how compelling our rabbis were trying to characterize what is the goal of a husband and wife, of a relationship, of a marriage. Person loses a parent, they remain your parent forever. You say Kaddish, you observe a Yerot site. You go visit the Kever, they're always your parent. Person loses a brother, a sibling, they remain forever your sibling. So much so that the Halacha of the Torah says, if a sibling died without a child, you have to do Yibum. You have to continue their name. You might think that the husband and wife relationship, it's now nullified, it's now done, it's finished, it's severed. How does a woman find freedom? What makes her eligible to marry again? The Mishnah in Kedushan says two things, get and misa sabal, those two ways. When I was back in yeshiva, I'll never forget a Friday, we were rallying in Manhattan, a man who refused to give his wife a get. Even back then we had agunas, even back then we rallied. So we rallied on a Friday. Took, didn't have to take off time from learning. 
outside this man's office. We had picket, we had signs going up and down the sidewalk in Manhattan. And someone thought of a great, a great jingle, a great thing that we would say. What was it? Two ways a woman goes free, the person's name, so-and-so, which way is it going to be? Then we were told that's probably a bad idea. What are the two ways a woman goes free? Either give the get or the death of the husband. It's a story of Rekiva Eger. Someone once went to see Rekiva Eger over the issue of giving a get. Rekiva Eger tried to persuade him, you have to give the get. Halachically, it's proper, it's time to give the get. And the man refused. He said, look, there's two ways that a woman is going to go free. It's a Mishnah and Kedushin. Uh, so I'm just telling you, she'll either go free because you give the get, it's the right thing to do, let's do it right now. Or the Mishnah says, Misa Sabal. The man told off Rabbi Kiva Eger, swore he'd never give the get. He walked out of the office, he tripped on the stairs and died on the way down. It's the story of Rabbi Kiva Eger. He died on the way down the stairs. So, Kones Asman beget of Misa Sabal. Two ways a woman goes free, by giving a get or the death of the husband. So all the other relationships are blood relationships. Parents, children, siblings, they're all blood relationships. A spouse is not a blood relationship. It's the only one that you could have divorced. You can't emancipate in halacha from your parents, from your siblings. That's a bond that is eternal. But a spouse, it is created and it can also be severed. In all the other cases, there's a blood connection that remains. But when it comes to a spouse, it feels more permanent. The sever, the break, feels that it runs deeper. And that's why the pain is the greatest. And that's why it's Ella. There's something about death when it comes to a spouse that is definitionally, categorically different than it is when it comes to every other relative. And that's why it says Ella. And that's why it says Alai. That's the pain that feels. That's the sensitivity that we should have for someone who loses a spouse, the pain that they are enduring, the pain that they are going through. Mesa alai Rachel. The Otsar Plos HaTorah has a comment here as well. Otsar Plos HaTorah says, Mesa alai Rachel. Why she's not buried in Mara Samachpela. The Chizkuni writes, Tam Lechem. Pasuk here says she's buried in Beis Lechem. She's not buried in, in Mara Samach Pela. Why isn't she buried in Mara Samach Pela? So the Chizkuni says, Shemesa Rachel ide koshi leida shel binyamim. Listen to the Chizkuni. Rachel died during childbirth. Uginayu leisha yoleda shemesa laholicha lemerchok lahashosa penyas lach lachu hatachrichem min hadam. She died from hemorrhaging during childbirth. If you are a member of a Hevra Kadisha, you know that if somebody hemorrhages, if they have bleeding that you can't stop, it runs the risk of soiling tachrichin, and it is very demeaning for the mace, and we seek to preserve the honor of the mace. So says the Chizkuni, what Yaakov was telling Yosef is, your mother died during childbirth. I couldn't afford to delay by taking her to bury her in Marasavach She would be soiled, covered in the blood of hemorrhaging during childbirth. And therefore, I had no choice but to bury her right here. I had to do it immediately. I couldn't wait. And that wasn't dishonoring her. That was the way to honor her by not waiting, by not delaying, by doing it immediately. The Ramban disagrees. The Ramban says, Yaakov had a lot of assets. Yaakov had a lot of property. So even though Marisa Machpelah was a short time, a half day journey from Beis Lechem, but with all of the entourage that Yaakov had, what he said is, Who did you want me to abandon? 
Who did you want me to throw overboard? I had this whole entourage to take the time true as, what's the expression, as the eagle flies? True, it's a half a day journey on the GPS. I got it, Waze, Google Maps, they all tell you it's half a day, but they don't know the entourage I had that would slow us down. It would have taken a lot longer and therefore I had no choice. I had to bury her right here. That's the Ramban. The Ramban says another explanation. Yaakov was ashamed and embarrassed that he had violated the Torah by marrying two women. So in this world and at that time, he had a heter to be married to two sisters, to be married, but in perpetuity he wouldn't. And therefore, he only, he only buried one, Leah there, and not Rachel. And not Rachel. Okay. The Radvaz and Atshuva, Chelik Beisim and Tafresh Sadivav writes, Im yadata lama zachza leya li kavar marasa machpela v'rachel b'parshas drochem tavin sod shtei achayos. If you knew the truth about why Leah merited to be buried in marasa machpela and why Rachel was buried on the side of the road, you would know the secret of these two sisters. And he leaves it very ambiguous, very enigmatic, very mysterious like that. If you knew the answer, then you would know the secret of these two sisters. I don't know the secret of the Radvaz. I'm not a mystic. Although by now I look like I'm old enough to be studying Kabbalah. But I still feel young enough that I can't. But perhaps what he means is the following. And I've shared this with you before. It's a very, very powerful image and a very powerful idea. When Rachel is buried on the side of the road, what's the significance? What do we know from Chazal? What do we know from the Navi? And what do we sing one of the most beautiful songs? Mama Rachel. Cry for me. Cry for us, Mama Rachel. Why? That when Jewish people would go into exile, when the Babylonians would lead us, today, Asara Beteves, when that siege would be successful, when the Beis Hamikdash in Yerushalayim would fall, when we would be exiled, where would we pass? We'd pass Kever Rachel. That would be the route that we would take. Mama Rachel, cry for us. Cry for us. And the Medrash tells us, we read about it on Tishabav, that when all the other great ones of our history appealed and advocated and went to Hashem on our behalf, none of them were successful. It's only the pleas and the cries of Mama Rachel. Rachel Imenu, she suffered so long, all she wanted was to be a mother. Rachel, she was the love of Yaakov, the apple of his eye. She was Yaakov's love. They had a raging, mad love. They were absolutely in love. And that meant the world to Rachel, but still, you know what she wanted? All she wanted was, I just want to be a mother. Leah, she's popping out kids like no tomorrow. She's popping out kids like nobody's business. She says, it's nice that I keep popping out kids. I'm the Fertile Crescent, but all I want, all I want is a little of Yaakov's attention. I just want to be Yaakov's wife. He's always running to my sister. He loves my sister. I see the way he looks at my sister. I just want to be Yaakov's wife. And what do each of them get in perpetuity? In this lifetime, Rachel had to wait and be patient and struggle to be a mother. In this lifetime, Leah struggled feeling she's second fiddle to her sister Rachel as Yaakov's wife. But what do they get forever in perpetuity? Leah is forever buried right next to Yaakov in Marasamach Pela, she and she alone. And Rachel forever is known as Mama Rachel. Rachel Imenu, Rachel Imenu. Maybe that's the sod of these two achayos, the secret of these two sisters. 
that even though in this lifetime, sometimes you don't get what you want, sometimes you have to wait and be patient, sometimes it doesn't seem it will work out, but their legacy, how they are remembered, who they are in perpetuity, Leah is forever Yaakov's wife, the only one buried next to him in, in Maras HaMachpela. And Rachel, though she's on the side of the road, is forever, she's Mama Rachel. That's how we think of her, that is her name. Chayesh Malevitz has another idea. Rashi here on this Padan. When I was coming from Padan Alam, your mother, she went up and died on me, and I buried her right here. And now Yaakov feels he has to explain to Yosef. Says Rashi, why does Yaakov feel he needs to explain to Yosef? Your mother, I left her right here where she dropped dead, that's where I buried her. Me, I just made you promise me that what? You're going to buy a ticket. You'll probably need business class. You're going to need to go on the airline. Last minute, by the way, if you don't know this, never tell the airline. Everyone mistakenly thinks that airlines have a special bereavement fee. You know what their bereavement fee is? Double the normal fee. Because they know that you really need to go. You don't have a choice of which day to go. I don't mean to rank on all the airlines. Some work better with you than others. But there's no such thing. It's one of the great myths of a bereavement fee. So Yaakov says, I know what you're thinking, Yosef. Me, I just made you promise you're going to bury me in Israel no matter what it's going to cost. While your mother, exactly where she dropped dead, I took a shovel, I dug a hole, I put her right there. So you're probably wondering, how can I mistreat your mother and demand such honor from you? So let me tell you how. It's not what I did to your mother. She died right there. Don't think it was raining and I was lazy. I'd get all wet. I'd get covered in mud. I just didn't want to because it was bad weather. Don't think that's the reason because it was the dry season. That's not the reason. You know why I buried her right there? No, it's because a basko went out. And Hashem said, bury her there. So Chaim Shmulevitz wonders, the great Sichus Musser. Chaim Shmulevitz, the great Shashiv of the Mir. He says, Yaakov Avinu is explaining to Yosef, I couldn't, I wanted to, I couldn't. He said, I can't. I would have given anything. I would have done anything to take her to Eretz Yisrael, to put her next to me. But I'm on Hashem said, no, this is the place right here. So why do you have to offer the rest of the explanations? I know you think maybe it's raining. No, it was dry. You think it was a long schlet. No, I could have gotten it there. I know you think all these other reasons. Why is Yaakov giving the rest of the explanations? Why is he even aware? Why did he even think about the rest of them? And Rechaim Shemlevit says an unbelievable principle here. He says, you know why? It's because when Yaakov first heard the Basko say, bury her right here, he said to himself, is that really Hashem's will? Or do I want it to be Hashem's will because it's the easy way out. Because it'd be so much more convenient. Because Taka, it would be a schlep. And I have a big entourage. And it would be hard. And she's still hemorrhaging and bleeding. I have a million and one reasons why it's easier to do it here. So am I doing it here because that's what he wants? Or am I doing it here because that's what's more convenient and easier for me? Says Rechayin Shalevitz, this Rasha Yaakov Avinu is teaching us a rule. That even when we have a way out, we have a legitimate reason we couldn't have with a minion that day. Shachris. You had to do carpool. Somebody needed a favor. You were Osig B'mitzvah. You couldn't make it to Shacharis. You had a sniffle, a cold. Everybody's been shrying. Don't come to shul if you even think you don't feel well. You look like somebody who doesn't feel well. Don't come to shul. You have a legitimate reason not to come. But you should stop yourself and say, am I not coming because I have the legitimate reason? Or did I rush to conclude I have a legitimate reason because it's so much more convenient to not come? So Yaakov was double-checking 
that Anas al Piyadibur, it was Dafka al Piyadibur, that it was really the will of Hashem and not only his own will that was getting him. By Varachas Yosef, now we turn to these brachas. Perak Mem Ches Pasuk Tezvav. We're going to try to squeeze in a lot in the last 10 minutes. By Varachas Yosef, Vayomar. Yaakov gives these brachas. Yosef's children, all the Shvatim, are they really brachas? Some of them seem like a very harsh rebuke. Such brachas, who needs? But we'll see in a moment. So the Pasuk tells us, Vayivarachas Yosef. Wonders of Sternbach, Tuvtam Vedas. Listen to this Rav Sternbach. If you came for nothing else today, this Rav Sternbach, uwah. What a Rav Sternbach. Geschmack. Listen to Rav Sternbach. Tamua. Harilom Matzinu B'mikra Baracha Shibirachas Yosef. The Sforno makes a comment about this. Look at the Torah. Torah records. Torah testifies. And now Yaakov blessed Yosef. And then it goes on. And he blesses Ephraim and Menashe. He never comes back to giving a bracha to Yosef. What happened? How could you say, Vayivarach is Yosef, Vayomar? He blessed Yosef and he said, Where's the bracha to Yosef? Venira Levayer, Cesar of Sturmbach, Shlita, listen to this. Sheikor habracha la Adam, Lizkos Liros Banov Holchem Bedarko, Demisha Banov Holchem Bedarach Hashem, Eino Mesla Olam. Torah says, Vayivarach is Yosef. Yaakov gave Yosef a bracha. And what was the bracha? Yosef, Yaakov then gives the bracha to Menashe and Ephraim. The greatest bracha for a parent is to have children and grandchildren on the derech. To have children and grandchildren who are living rich, passionate, proud, practicing Jewish lives. That's the biggest bracha for a parent. Because, you, because the tachrin don't, don't have pockets. Because you can't attach a U-Haul to a hearse. So what are you going to take with you? All the things you accumulated and amassed? Your big portfolio? your real estate holdings, your stocks, your ta- what are you going to take with you? All your silver, all your diamonds. You can't take any of that with you. You know what you can take with you? The merit of being a link in a chain and leaving children and grandchildren who will continue a life of Torah and mitzvahs. What a bracha. Is there a bigger bracha in the world? Many people don't appreciate what a bracha that is. You know when you know it's a bracha? When you can feel the klala of being concerned about children or a child or grandchildren who are struggling to find their way. We spoke on Shabbos, there are many legitimate paths. There's not one way. Yaakov had 12 children. One was Ashkenazi, one was Sephardi, one was Litvish, one was Hasidish, one was Viznish, Baba, Bells. They were all kinds. They were on different drachim. One wore Kippah one wore Estrema, one wore a black hat, one wore... A, and, that's, and Yaakov Avinu said, I love them all. I got a lot of minyanim to cover on a Shabbos morning, but I love them all. We're one family. But then there's also the, not on any of those drachim, trying to find their derach. That's very painful. So what's the biggest bracha? Rav Sturmbach referencing the Svarno here. Vayivarach is Yosef. What do you mean to give a bracha to Yosef? Where's the bracha to Yosef? Find it in the text. It's not there. It is there. The bracha to Yosef's children, that's the biggest bracha to Yosef. V'chaim atzasim afurish bazar kadosh. Says Rav Sturmbach, I found this explicit in the Zohar. B'hai kroyis listak the biggest bracha you can have is to have children 
and to have children who stay on the path. That is the bracha. Vayavarach is Yosef. The bracha to Yosef was the brachas to Menashe and Ephraim. Never take it for granted. It's the biggest bracha that we could, that we could have. Okay, what should we do? Bechar b'yeh b'kashti, perek memches pasol chav beiz. Memches chav beiz. V'ani nesati l'cha shechem achal achecha, sholakachtem yad ha'emori. Now, Yaakov gives these brachos. We don't have time to get into it, but all of them, a farshim point out, these brachos are incredibly harsh rebuke. Shimon Alevi, you're impetuous. You're given to your impulse. You almost got us all killed when you took on shechem. Yeah, I'm waiting for the bracha, Dad. Where's the bracha? For gezunt and parnasa, I should marry off my children. No, I'm telling you that you're impulsive and you're impetuous and you almost got us all killed. And they all point out, you know what the biggest bracha you could give your children? Sparsha is a huge lesson in parenting. Don't be a helicopter parent. Don't be a bulldozer parent. It used to be helicopter parents. Rabbi Kamenetsky spoke last Shabbos. Helicopter parents would come in and rescue their children. No child should ever have to rescue themselves. No child should ever have to have a skim knee. No child should ever have a bad grade. No child should ever get eliminated from the playoffs of their flag football. Parents come in in helicopter. But now, there's not helicopter parents. They have what they call snowblower bulldozer. Up north, they call them snowblower parents. Well, we don't know what that means. We call them bulldozer parents. You know what the bulldozer parents do? They bulldoze all the obstacles from in front of the child. Khalila, they should never have to face an obstacle. They took away the SATs. You know why they took away the SATs? It's mean. You can only get into college. You could better if you took good at. That's mean. What about someone who won't do well? That's so mean. So we bulldoze. We eliminate all the obstacles. No one can ever tell you anything you have to do. Yaakov Avinu says, "I want to give my children brachas." You know what the biggest bracha I can give is by pointing out what you need to work on, not by giving a participation trophy to all my children, not by telling every child you're the greatest, you're the best, you're the most amazing. I have big inner debates. I know why we do it. We have to do it. We do it because it's what this generation needs. But every bar mitzvah and bas mitzvah today, we talk about this child like they're the greatest gift of the world, like no one's ever been better, no one's ever done more, they've got the greatest potential. I'm guilty of it. That's what I do for a living on Shabbos mornings. I understand it. This child's now a franchise. They have a logo. They're a franchise. They're the greatest. We talk about all their virtues, all their everything. I understand. They're all true. Everything we say about the children is true. We're not making it up. It's beautiful. And this is what children today need. We get further by emphasizing their positives and pushing them, and it's wonderful. I'm not saying we should stop. It's what's necessary today. Yoridas adoros. But, but, I'm not saying the rabbi or the parent or the zayda at the speech, at the suda, has to get up and talk about all the things, you know, to follow Yaakov Avinu and say, you're great in this way, this way, and this way, but I'd like to just mention, you could try a little harder in Gemarashir. I just want to mention that uh, your room is a pretty big, uh, messy pigsty. You could do a little... I'm not saying you have to do it publicly, but Yaakov Avinu teaches us that the biggest bracha is not telling someone how perfect, how great, how amazing, how... The biggest bracha is to say, here's where we need to work on. I've worked on. Here's what I needed to work on in my life. Here's what you need to work on. Here's how you grow from working on it. So what does he tell Levi Levi and Shimon? You're impetuous, you're impulsive, you almost got us all killed. What saved us? What saved us? My sword and my bow. Becharbi uvekashti. That's what saved us. That's what saved us. Did Yaakov take up arms? Says Rav Soloveitchik. My sword and my bow. The Targum translates these two words as Tuluson Uvaoson. Tuluson Uvaoson. We say in Brach we say in Kaddish, the Skabel. What do those two words mean? Tuluson Uvaoson. 
Tefillah, prayer. My sword and my bow are two types of prayer. Since there's no record of Yaakov having done battle with the Amorites, the distinction between the sword and the bow is that the sword is used for close combat, while the bow and arrow is used by the archer at a distance. Correspondingly, Tzlohoson are prayers for our immediate personal needs, wisdom, health, and sustenance. Bohoson are prayers that relate to Jewish destiny and ultimate redemption. There are prayers that reflect our immediate need, and then there are other more global Jewish prayers. And that's what's reflected, says the Rav, in Becharbi, Ubekashti, the two types of prayers. But, Eish Tamid, maybe we'll end with this, throwback to Rav Druk. Becharbi, Ubekashti, Betzlosi, Ubeosi, so why didn't, why didn't the Torah tell us that? If what Yaakov was saying was, I saved you through, our, through my tefillah. What do you mean? Not my sword and my, and my arrow. That's not who we were saved from the Emori with. So the reason is, There was no war with Shechem. Levi and Shimon successfully wiped him out. Under the ruse of you need a bris if you're going to marry our sister, everyone needs to get a bris. And then they wiped him out. There was no war. True, Levi and Shimon used the sword to go eliminate all the people of Shechem. However, why does it say my sword and my bow? So it must be Yaakov was not talking about actual war and he was not referring to actual weapons. What was he talking about? Tefillah prayer. So what do you see as the most successful component or element of war? Of course it's the army. In Israel we have all, we should daven every day for our soldiers, our courageous heroic soldiers who are protecting not only our brothers and sisters in Israel but Jews around the world. Of course it's our army. And of course it's the military. Of course it's the weapons. But what is the real success of war? It's tefillah, it's davening. Yes, it was Levi and Shimon's acumen, physical prowess, military superiority, but says Yaakov, make no mistakes. You know why we were successful? Because of my, my sword and my shield and my bow. Bear with me one more minute. You save time on breakfast and lunch today, so we have two more minutes. He quotes the Meshachachma who explains here the following. Tzlosi who say that tefillah kavua, ubausi hu bakasha. Tzlosi means my regular tefillos. Shachras men chamarav, my regular, ordinary, my, my tefillah kavua. Buusi means bakasha, special what I inserted, my special request, special needs. Asha amru imratza adam lachadesh b'tefilaso. Kol bracha shol adam tzrachav. We have the template of our amida. We have what we say as part of the script. And then we have what we insert into each bracha. Rafa'inu, the people I'm davening so hard, they should have Rafushlaima. Borichalainu, we should have a parnasa. Slachlanu Hashem, forgive me, I've made mistakes. For the Yushalayim on this day of Asar Bateves. We want redemption. So that which we say is part of the template of the script, even if I'm not paying attention, it works. But what I introduce, what's new, what I author, it has to be authentic. I have to be paying attention, Kavana Yisera. You know, a sword on its own, you don't have to be paying attention. The sharp sword, it pierces on its own. A sharp sword, metal that has a point, it pierces, it can kill. But a bow, what do you have to do with the bow? You have to draw it back. If you don't pull the bow back, it's not going anywhere. 
the bow, you have to pay attention, you have to be mindful, you have to be... So that's what the Meshachachma says. Becharbi u bekashti. Tzlusi u v'usi. Becharbi with the sword, that's like the ordinary script, the template of tefillah. You just have to say it and it works. But bekashti, the part of tefillah, which is like a bow, you have to be mindful, conscious, paying attention, has to be authentic. You have to pull back. And by the way, it's a beautiful kutzker. You know what else about the bow? The closer you pull it back to you, the more you put on it, the further it goes. With tefillah too, the closer you pull it towards you, the more it represents you, authentic you, the further it goes. The Kutzker says, a little bonus, Kutzker says that when it comes to, um, it says about children, children are described like an arrow in the hands of the archer. Why are children like an arrow in the hands of the archer? So the, the Kutzker says, because you know with children, the closer you pull them towards you, when it's time to release them, when they graduate your home and they go out into life, so if you want them to hit the target, if you want them to travel with a straight velocity, not waver, not fall, not be affected by the wind, the closer you pull towards you, the further, the more direct, the faster, the more on target they're going to fly. So that's Bacharbi of Bakashri says the Meshachachma, it's Lusi Uvausi. But one more. The Grizz, the Briskarov. Khilik Bencharab Lakeshes. Kherov Baatsmo Davashotevahorig. Keshes. But the bow, the arrows are sharp, but they have no koach on their own. So two types of tefillah, Anshikinas Agadola, the tefillah every one of us, very similar to the Meshech Chachma. Kechitzu B'yayid Gibor, okay, we're out of time. Vayivarech Hussam, V'yikbaru Oso, Beridim, Yonadrasha, V'yikbaru Oso. One more Otsar Plos HaTorah, they're so good. One more, yeah, you have time, one more Otsar Plos HaTorah. One more, Naftali. Why Naftali was able to walk swiftly? There's so many. But the brachas we give on Friday night. When did Yaakov die? We'll end with this. Anyone know the date of Yaakov's Yerzeit? When did Yaakov die? So the Sefer Shara Melech, Shara Melech, and the Drosh is Lachsam Sofer, Chelek Alf. Yaakov Avinu Mespi Yom Rishon Shel, Chag The first day of Sukkot is the Yerzeit of Yaakov Avinu, and that's what the Bnei Yisachar says. And the Remez, V'yakov Nasa, Sukosa. We know that Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot correspond with the three Avos. Sukkot corresponds with Yaakov. Pasuk tells us after he reunites with Esav, Yaakov Nasa, Sukosa, he goes to Sukkot. That's the, the, uh, the Drosh's Lachsam Sofer. Here we go. Ein Rochuk Shayakvura, so Biyom. When was the burial? He died on Sukkot. By the time they got him up to Eretz Yisrael, first day, by the way, they embalmed him. You have to understand, I thought embalming Zasser, how did they embalm him? They kept him in Mitzrayim before they took him up and buried him, maybe even reburied him. What was the date of his internment? When was he buried? Says the Chassam Sofer. Today is the anniversary of the Kvura of Yaakov Avinu. He was died on Sukkot. He was buried on Asar Beteves. Quotes many, many other sources here. Some say it was Pesach. Some say it was Hanukkah. He has many, many sources. A classic Otsar Plaus HaTorah here about all the different times. What is the real Yurtzeit? What is the real anniversary of the day of death of burial? Have a meaningful and an easy rest of the fast. And Amir Tzashem. See you tomorrow morning for 10 minutes Masila Susharam. Living with Amuna. Tomorrow night we're going behind the Bima with Veronica Bacelli, the wife of Andrea Bacelli, who loves the Jewish people and stands up on our behalf.